0: I'm your host, Riemsin Labidin, and you are listening to TechTag Podcast. Today, our guest is Kit Langton. He's a Scala developer and a teacher at Ziverge. In his free time, he contributes to open source software. He also sings and plays piano. Are you excited to meet Kit? Yeah, me too. I felt like Dora. Okay, so let's meet Kit and learn more about his journey.
1: Hello, Ian.
0: Hey, Kit. Welcome to TikTok. I think this is the first time I uh, I meet you in person. Uh, I know that it's online, but I'm glad to get the chance to talk to you today. And it's awesome to have you here. Thanks for being my guest. (laughs) <laughs> Thank
1: you, but well, yeah, it's so good to be here, um, It's uh, I, I listened to a couple of the best the, the episodes and I really like your, your goal and mission and uh, you seem like a really super nice and smart person, so it'll be a pleasure chatting with you for the duration of this recorded session.
0: Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, to know you more, uh, can you introduce yourself and tell us some fun facts about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure, of course. Uh, So hello, my name is Kit Langton, and I am currently a Scala developer. I work for a company called Zyverge, which starts with the letter Z, and also creates some software that starts with the letter Z, like Zio. And uh, I do weekly uh, Scala tutorial called Zymposium, with another Z there, uh, which is the worst SEO imaginable. because it gets autocorrected to symposium every time. even It doesn't even let you correct it. But anyway, uh, I like to teach Scala and talk about functional programming in Scala and effect systems and just share what I find interesting about uh, this uh, pretty you know, intellectually stimulating career that is software development. I like building apps and stuff. It makes, uh, gives some Uh, whatever, that God complex thing. You get to create a little uh, application and and make your own little perfect world. Uh, So I like doing that. Have a bunch of little side projects. Yeah, pretty much always coding or doing something else that I like to do. Oh, fun facts. Yes, so my fun facts are the other things that I'm not coding are probably just playing music. I like music a lot and uh, sometimes doodling. But I'm trying to uh, cut out doodling. I'm trying to give it up and just focus on <laughs> coding and and music and my beautiful, wonderful wife, um, whom whom I love, and uh, yeah, friends and all that stuff. So it's hard to juggle. It's a busy. It's a busy time.
0: That's cool. <laughs> uh, how uh, did you start to get passionate about programming? Was it related to your education path? Like how your journey has started?
1: Um, the education path might have affected it, but only sort of in like the negative direction. I liked the computer a lot ever since I was a kid. It was satisfying and I like poking around on it and exploring it. Uh, I always wanted to try programming. I remember going to like a, an early Mac world with my dad and seeing some like booth. I must have been eight or something with... Uh, something like a piece of software called Code Warrior or something, I think it was for C++. I don't, some kind of crazy language. It was not built for kids at all, but I really wanted to do it. And I, I think I, I tried to read a book on it and I totally bounced off. I was, I was too young and too scared of it. But I, you know, I, I like computers a lot in school and I always was mucking around in them or doing animation or uh, breaking them or playing pranks on, on my tech teachers or something in some way, uh, or helping them with their computers. But never really got into programming. Uh, didn't think I was a programmer at all. Was uh, did increasingly poorly at school academically. Actually, uh, I was pretty. I was pretty swell uh, in in elementary school. Kicked butt at you know simple times tables and and so on and so forth. Reading those books. But as the homework became a, a larger load, I became increasingly bored and reclusive. And uh, yeah, didn't didn't really like school at all. High school was just a. a Terrible torture chamber, uh, in every way imaginable, and uh, yeah, and I played a lot of music and just bummed around and barely uh, got into a college for illustration, which I then um, dropped out of uh, because I didn't go to class, which is something that they really want you to do. So it was, it was a pretty uh, bleak, bleak time academically. Which is all to say that yes, that had no uh, bearing on, on programming. Um, I just was sort of good at computers in the abstract, comfortable with poking around and exploring things. Um, but not anything to do with programming. I just didn't think I could do that. Uh, And after bumbling around for a few more years, I finally made it to an uh, illustration school I really wanted to get into, the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan. And I was 25, and this was kind of like the only dream I had besides playing music. And I got in, and I immediately realized I hated it. Uh, I was sort of (laughs) working towards it for five or six years, and it really was a terrible and, and very expensive Um, But luckily, during my internship that I had uh, uh, during that period, I had like a little uh, tech gig doing some really terrible stuff for $10 an hour. Uh, I had to upload all of these files to some like business to business portal. That was just the worst designed website in the world. Um, And I had to sort of upload one image at a time and click for each image through 10 different pages and and check all these boxes, the same boxes every time, the same uh, radio buttons and everything type in some text that was based on the image name or dimensions and whatever. And I knew enough about computers to know that that process was uh, sort of both Sisyphean and torturous and also uh, totally fit the bounds of something that could be programmable. So I I downloaded a piece of software called Keyboard Maestro. I didn't even let myself sort of go straight to programming. I needed to use a a weird little Mac app called Keyboard Maestro that kind of let you automate clicks and, and run some very primitive JavaScript. Uh, So I like took screenshots of the UI and and sort of automated all the clicks um, to to do for each image. So I changed my job into basically being able to run this weird script uh, with a a folder of images. And it took like an hour and did everything I was doing manually. And I was so excited by that process. I told my boss, but he didn't understand and kept giving me the same exact amount of uh, work. And so I... I uh, <laughs> invested my new found free time into reading about uh, programming on the internet. And I read about uh, Ruby and I decided to reimplement that thing in, in Ruby. And I eventually did running it with like Selenium to control the web browser. And I was still excited and told my boss and he still did not care. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make my own version of this app with Ruby on rails. And I started studying that at this internship and, uh, and I just kind of yeah during the during that period of time when I wasn't in school I was just learning during this internship um, and on my own and slowly realizing I I could probably do this and got very obsessed with it to the point where I was supposed to draw naked people when I came home or or draw fruit or something or anything to do with art school but instead I just read Ruby books I read like Sandy Metz's book on on object-oriented Ruby programming and was just eating it up and um, yeah, and then I decided I should probably drop out of art school and do programming because uh, uh, illustration pays nothing, and uh, I could, its instead of subsidizing my latent programming hobby uh, with uh, illustration, I might as well flip that uh, and, and subsidize doodling with programming. That seemed like a smarter decision, so I joined a boot camp, and I uh, it went really well. And that was kind of the beginning. Wow, I talked for a really long time. Um, I hope that made sense. Yeah,
0: it makes <laughs> sense. And uh, when uh, you started learning, is there um, some group of people who were with you? And uh, is there any uh, inspiration or motivation around you or just by yourself? Tried this.
1: Unfortunately, just by myself. I, get, I did have some parental support with my, my dad. Always knew what I was on, like I was on the computer all the time. And so he's like, you should do programming. Like they pay, thats a career path. Do programming, stop playing music in the basement and 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 doodling, and, and stop being a barista and try to be a programmer. But I didn't believe I could do that. So that was, I guess, some, that was good parental support. Now that I think about it, thank you, thank you, Dad. Um, <laughs> but besides that, uh, no, no one really. None of my friends knew much about computers. I was always the most technically savvy, and no one was really interested. Buy it at all. So, no, it was just just me and the internet. Mm-hmm. Luckily, the whole internet was there. So, there were some good Rail, uh, Ruby on Rails tutorials. And I, I think Michael Hartle had a, that may have been my first experience. There was some guy named Michael Hartle with a, a, a Rails tutorial. And then um, Sandy Metz was very inspirational. Her talks were great. She's a great speaker, um, probably for anyone. I mean, she tends to focus on object oriented programming, which is I've sort of moved away from that, but she's still a great speaker and has really good at um, presenting ideas. And Gary Bernhardt as well. Uh, I think he's probably the most inspirational person um, in terms of what I like to do with programming. Now, have you ever heard of him? Oh, uh, no. Oh, he's 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 great. Um, he, has, he has a website called Destroy All Software, mm-hmm. um, which is a series of just like videos that he records. Um, they're just 10 minute, 15 minute uh, videos that tend to have been focused on Ruby and Rails in the past. Um, but he just—he's like a master of Vim. He's so good at typing. He just live codes it. It's just basically like one unedited segment, which is amazing. Uh, if you've ever had to like record yourself, and you know, I, I like whenever I do that, I make a million edits. It's yeah. just, the timeline is just like every five seconds, a million. Yeah, edits. me too. It's crazy looking. But he's—it's just like a one. It's like a one shot um, in cinema. There's this thing called there's a, a oneer. One with an R at the end, where you just do like a long shot. You may have seen it in some movies, like Children of Men, if you've ever seen that, or the beginning of Boogie Nights, where they have this like really long signal shot where it's just like five, 10 minutes long. And it's just like, oh my God, there's how horses running around and people are choreographed. How do they even shoot this? Like, that's kind of the programmatic equivalent to Gary Bernhardt's historical software videos. They're like, my mouth is on the floor knowing how difficult <laughs> to, it is to, to speak eloquently while typing and doing them stuff and not screwing up. Um, for 15 minutes so that was cool and I, I like trying to emulate him today that's probably why i'm into vim and typing um uh trying to type quickly and and rambling and stuff anyway
0: i i uh like i remember uh, whenever i uh, watch your talks i just got some very good energy from it it's
1: <laughs>
0: you can feel it
1: thank you thank you oh yeah maybe this is relevant in, in my past I, I like to do improv a little bit uh, i did some improv um as a as a kid um, in high school, that was like my only like friend group. There was an improv club that I got into when I was a freshman. I was very excited about that. Um, and so I think, I think there's some aspect of that. I like, I, I feel I do the best. I'm not a great planner. I'm not a very type a person, but I like working under sort of immediate pressure to, uh, attempt to perform in, in some way. And I, I don't think I'll ever, be like virtuosic or or, or or perfectionist um but i think i have I, i've learned to realize that i have my own particular kind of rambling chaos energy which maybe is entertaining or potentially uh, exhausting depending on who you are but i found some people who seem to enjoy it in the programming world and i'm very grateful to find uh, nice nice folks who, who don't who don't hate me it's pretty cool
0: yeah, it is <laughs> it is cool believe me <laughs> Um, and uh, your uh, first uh, job or part-time job in programming? How was it? How did you get uh, your very first official job?
1: Yeah, so I did a boot camp, and because um, I was, you know, I was into programming, and I just was too afraid to just apply to a job. Um, mm-hmm. Very frightening, without a CV at all or any relevant experience, just like being a a barista and a server and a, a cashier and yes, I did not have very uh, compelling jobs. Um, or oh, I didn't graduate from college, as I mentioned. I dropped out a couple times, which is impressive. Uh, how many times I dropped out of different uh, like community colleges and whatnot, but um, nothing that I, I felt safe um, going into the battle of an interview with. So I decided to do a boot camp because then I, you know, I'd figure out. Where do I stand? Where, where am I good at this at all? Because um, I didn't know—I didn't know anyone else who did it, so I assumed everyone else is kind of a, a super a genius at programming. Um, and so I applied to a boot camp, and I got in. I was very excited. It was online only, and it was—it was free. Uh, there was like a deposit, but you got that back if you didn't make it through. So it was just kind of a no-brainer. Um, you had to pay it back after you got a job. It was one of these sort of like delayed um, payment plans, which I should specify. I think the bootcamp market has changed. Um, my wife recently did one of sort of a similar variety, but they changed the terms of these sorts of contracts where now it feels like a scam. And I feel like I got very lucky kind of getting in early at, at this time where uh, this bootcamp was small and it, it wasn't a scam. Like the, the CEO was act- actually cared and gave people their their money back if they if they screwed up. Um, it was called Viking Code School for, for Ruby on Rails. Is really cool. Uh, shout out to Eric Troutman, the old CEO of that. Um, but what else <laughs> I don't know what I mean saying so I, w- I went there and it was amazing and I realized actually pretty quickly that I'd studied a lot on my free time uh, doing that sort of internship and all the being obsessed with it for about I, I guess six months to a year before that that I'd come in with a pretty sizable um, amount of knowledge uh, and was able to do really well and and help my fellow students and sort of I realized because it, it was kind of a pair based system where every you paired with another student every day, mm-hmm. a different random student. And you went through the material kind of project based. Um, so I found myself helping my other students, my co-students a lot and really enjoying that. And uh, and I think the, the, the guy who ran it, uh, Eric noticed that, um, that I was both doing really well and, and teaching other people. And so about halfway through the course, he offered me to join. I think that's a common thing with these boot camps. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a peer game actually. Uh, but this is a good, this is a positive pyramid scheme where they hire from within at that point. Um, so I, I was like, okay, I'm either going to take this job and maybe get paid like uh, a bit less than I would be able to, if I actually got a programming job at a big company, but I'm afraid of interviews. And, and this is, I'm getting to get, I know these people and I like them and I'm going to get to learn more and figure out what I like. And so I, I accepted their offer and, and taught there for about a year and a half. So it was my first job. It was like kind of a cheat code. I did not have to do the scary thing of going into job interviews until um, a little later when I, you know, had to in the normal course of events. But uh, yeah.
0: And so uh, during that time, do you remember like what were the challenges that you went through or your learning experience from it that you developed uh
1: yeah from from the from the boot camp in particular.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I learned a lot about a lot of things. Uh uh it was a really cool experience. Um especially cuz I, as I mentioned I I was never very good academically. Uh I think just the pace and the assignments and the structure of it really just bored me to death and I just rejected it and uh did what I wanted generally. Occasionally an assignment would come up where I sort of interpret it in a semi creative way and and write like a really long essay that didn't quite do what the teacher wanted and some teachers like that but it it drove most of them insane um so uh, this boot camp actually ended up being really good for my brain and, and learning uh style where i could very obsessively plunge into a single topic that i already found interesting um and it was really intense and i could sort of become monomaniacally focused on this one thing and uh I guess it was a little competitive too. And I don't think of myself as a competitive person necessarily, but uh, it was, it was, it had all the right ingredients to like, I wanted to impress my teachers and impress my fellow students and help them. And uh, I just, yeah, I was kind of a machine during that four month period. It's basically all I did um, from morning till night. Uh, I moved back in with my parents and just did that um, to become hireable. Uh, And so, I mean, I learned a lot. Uh, it was project based. So it kind of, I think what I learned the most was that I learned that I could learn. And I think that's a a really important thing that you can learn on your own. And that there is this, that confusion is okay. And confusion is kind of the first part of the learning process without confusion. um, I think some people tend to run from feeling confused. They get scared and they feel like, I don't know this, therefore I can't know it. Um, But truly that's the signal that your, your brain is telling you that it is, it is it is actually grappling with the ideas here. If, if like, you're not going to be confused if something is just like sort of a, a word jumble. You know, if something is, if your brain is actually trying to form a grip onto something, then you're going to get that weird sort of uh, feeling of tension and pressure behind the eyeballs that is maybe unpleasant. But I really learned to like that feeling because I could see the process of over and over again in these different cycles of feeling confused, feeling overwhelmed, uh, coming up against the sort of giant um, of an idea, this colossal, uh, pain of like learning SQL from scratch or whatever, and just not getting it. And then slowly watching that dissolve and watching that shrink until, Oh, three days later, it's sort of trivial thing that I now know how to do. And I'm on to the next uh, thing. So just due to the pace and the, uh, intensity of that process, it, um, it made me very sort of aware, uh, my own metacognitive processes and being able to sort of watch myself learn and know that I could learn. And it was just a matter of. Really holding my brain sponge against the giant, you know, blob for 24 hours until it started to absorb it, uh, and that would happen, and it would happen secretly, like while I was sleeping, and just to trust the process. So yeah, I would like uh, anyone who feels stupid. That's uh, just like that's a good thing. That means you're or confused. You know, your your brain is is working if you're confused. Otherwise, it would just be flatlining. You'd just be sort of staring with your mouth agape at it. Um, So keep keep going and trust your brain. It's a it's a cool thing we have.
0: Yeah. And especially when you uh, uh, after that confusion, and you are trying to solve it, it's like something is not clear. And you try to clear clarify it and uh, learn more Mm -hmm. and more. And then you see you can see that you uh, solve a problem. Uh, Mm -hmm. You did something out of uh, your knowledge, you can see the result. Mm -hmm. And this will give you more inspiration, right?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I think. And and that's what's I think that's kind of why I like programming so much, because it's applied everything, you know, it's a little bit applied philosophy sometimes, or uh, when you get into the the more heady functional programming aspects or or design principles. um, And it's applied, every piece of knowledge you have becomes a a sort of a tool or a weapon or whatever, in your tool belt that you get to then use um, and and get better at wielding. And it's, uh, it's, it's great for that feedback loop you get to run your ideas in a compiler or in at least an interpreter back in the ruby days and get immediate validation so yeah that's something else that would like definitely feedback loops so important for learning if you're just reading also take those ideas and and experiment with them like if if you're trying to learn something something i did all the time in that boot camp was it was project-based so i was always typing code so you form hypotheses you're like i think it works like this so then type that out And then run it and see if if you can validate or invalidate those hypotheses and try to break it and see you know it's really easy to forget i think just the the beginning stages of programming where it's just a text file like if code doesn't feel like text to me anymore it doesn't feel like a text file but at the beginning it painfully felt like what is this like an opening brace And a closing brace didn't feel like a block. It didn't feel like a new scope being introduced. It just felt like there are some braces here for some reason. And I I can put them anywhere. I can type any character anywhere. So it was just like slowly you have to run and run it and run it until your brain starts to impose an actual almost physical structure on the code. I think that's something that uh, it's really easy to um, forget. You know, there's the curse of knowledge once you've learned this stuff. It's that you forget what it was like to to not know it. And it's... um, I think learning it late. And so, so in such a tight amount of time, I, I tried to hold on to how painful it was and all those weird experiences of just all the ways that you can misunderstand things. Um, there's so many ways if you ever teach absolute newcomers, it's really fun because it's, uh, it's almost difficult to even speak in the terms that you know how to speak to like any other, anyone else, because they don't yeah know even the, the basic atoms of a, the vocabulary and you have to break it down in these interesting ways.
0: Yeah, yeah. And teaching also helps on learning in a different perspective. For example, if you teach a different level, Mm -hmm. uh, you need to try to see it from their perspective to be able to explain it and you will need to use their terms. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like you said, you need to um, look back uh, from their perspective how this could be clear for them.
1: Yeah, and it's a really fun challenge. It's kind of like a puzzle. You can treat it like a puzzle where your job is to figure out, sort of reconstruct uh, their mental model in your head and then teach to that. Like understand it's all about empathy. You have to see things from their perspective and then see what's missing and then see how can I use the tools. It's almost like implementing a parametrically polymorphic function. (laughs) Like given given, (laughs) given these type parameters, uh, no, given these abstract ideas that they have, how can I build, like you're sort of limited. Um, I, I, how can I build to this new idea with their vocabulary and their current level of understanding? And then you could be wrong in so many ways. That's kind of the, the pain yeah. of it. You could miss, uh, misunderstand their mental model and then you have to be ready to adapt. So you're not just pissing them off.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you get questions that you you didn't think about because it is from a different perspective. and. A detail that you just because you understand it, you didn't think about that piece. Um, and uh, yeah, it makes more aware yeah, yeah. It's great,
1: it's great for learning. Yeah, no, I mean, so it's so selfish as well because yeah, you're hearing yourself explain it and then you're like teaching it to yourself. It's like, oh, yeah, that is a great way to explain it, or now, oh, now I understand it actually. Now that I've put it into words for the first time, um, oh, yeah, I guess I do know what this is, or now I I've, I've, I've had the experience of in telling someone what something is actually understanding it for the first time um, so many times um, just thinking i i know it uh yeah maybe we can get back to that later when talking about functional programming and stuff and and, uh, sort of maybe the 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 scary uh (laughs) the intimidation of of that sort of domain and the sort of gated community that it sometimes can appear to to the outside um because at least i felt like when i was learning haskell I thought I knew what a functor and a monad was and all these scary ideas or whatever, or or, or more basic uh, programmatic concepts um, when I was starting. But I didn't really. I just kind of, (laughs) I knew one usage of them. I didn't understand them deeply. And if you cling to just these ideas and these images and these words, you can really hurt yourself uh, by not fully investigating it, by assuming that you know these things. You're going to sort of preclude further understanding. And I think teaching is a great way to really not allow yourself much hubris or uh, to, to not hold any of your ideas precious, because if you just sort of take your current understanding and just repeatedly whap your student over the head with them, uh, you're not going to have many students. Your students aren't going to grow. Yeah. Uh, you're going to just annoy people. Um, in order to actually teach people, you have to break down your own understanding constantly because it keeps sort of reossifying.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's a good perspective. And uh, uh, next, uh, the next job uh, was also uh, using the same uh, languages that you have learned from uh, bootcamp.
1: So what happened was I worked for the boot camp and uh, as usual, I got a little bored. I mean, it was really fun teaching, um, but I tried to make a lot of sort of like interactive, I wanted to code apps too. So I made like these interactive quiz games so that the students could just, uh, play these sort of semi quiz, I uh, an app called Quizzard, uh, which, uh, what was it like? I'm not really sure. There were two teams, they buzzed in and they got different questions. It was pretty basic, but I, I use that as an exploration for this language called Elixir. Mm-hmm. Uh, I slowly branched out from Ruby. Uh, Elixir is a language um, that runs on Erlang, but it was created by this guy named Jose Valin, who was a Rails contributor. So, you know, programming languages are sort of strangely insulated. And I don't think I would have ever just jumped straight from Ruby to Scala. These are not, there's, if they're in a graph, there are a few nodes between them. They're not just directly connected. Um, but Elixir was connected to Ruby because it had the same, same creator. So I found that about it on the internet and through circles or whatever, uh, through Slacks or Discords. I don't think those existed at the time, but through whatever I was talking with people. And, and uh, yeah, I learned that um, and just, I got very really interested that that involved um immutability that was my first sort of uh experience with immutability immutability and pattern matching even though it is totally um uh not uh, com- uh statically typed uh, it's very dynamic and uh but yeah it, it was it was very interesting um kind of as a built-in actor model uh and I, was, I just really liked that and then I kept wanting to learn other languages and I learned elm um, which from there, which is kind of like a nerfed version of Haskell. It's kind of Haskell for the front end, um, and it's the same syntax, but way, way less uh, concepts involved. Um, it's much less powerful, but it was perfect for me because um, I was just blown away how you could call a function without parentheses because they have space based application, and I was like, okay, this breaks the laws of physics of programming. You have to have parentheses and commas. Like, how can you just call a function? with white space that's just it felt like a weird uh jedi trick which makes zero sense at all now uh to me it's like oh yeah it just needs to be parsable as long as you can make it parsable that's cool but at the time not fully understanding these things it just felt uh magical and amusing um and and i really liked that and and then i heard people complaining about elm because it wasn't as powerful as haskell and i was like uh, Oh, who are these jerks? Why do they not like Elm? And uh, I want to be a jerk too. I want to know what uh, what a functor in a monad is. Finally, uh, so I, that was all during the boot camp. I just became increasingly obsessed and like <laughs> I probably procrastinated on my job. If I don't think that my boss will listen to this, but if he does, he probably knew that I was becoming increasingly procrastinatory and uh, just mostly studying programming languages in my free time um, and slightly, somewhat during work time um, and. And uh, yeah, and so I got really into Haskell. And my boss did know this, and and eventually they actually were bought out. So after a year and a half, they got bought out. And um, so I got let go uh, because they were bought out and absorbed and they didn't really need me anymore. Um, but my boss was super nice. Uh, and he referred me to uh, a friend of his in San Francisco uh, for First Republic Bank, where he heard they were using Haskell, which is what I was wanting to study. So it was perfect. and. Um, so I went there, and uh, that was my second job. Um, and they really weren't using Haskell much. It turned out to be a lot, <laughs> um, but, but I worked I worked there for a year. I'll just fast forward the job stuff because I worked there for a year, and it was actually uh, really terrible. I really hated it so much. It was, so, it was, Kafka, it was a Kafkaesque nightmare. There was so much bureaucracy. Um, my team essentially delivered nothing of value uh, to anyone. Um, we just kept sort of pursuing the fever uh, dreams of, of like executives. They come in and it's like, build an app from scratch. We're we gonna build an app, and then they'd go away for like three weeks and come back and it's like, where's my app? Never mind that. I had a new dream. Let's build this thing. Um, so it, there was just no engineering culture or anything. It just kind of was a weird. Uh, Fluke. I don't know how it existed uh, just because of Silicon Valley. Everything engineering teams just kind of burst into existence randomly in places they don't uh, belong. Um, it was completely disconnected from any line of revenue. Uh, so I worked there for a year randomly and then uh, was like, OK, I want to try to look for a real Haskell job. And as I think may have happened to many people at the time and maybe still does, I instead found a Scala job. And I didn't know what Scala was, but it, it's, they told me it was similar enough to Haskell. And uh, that was the first job where I finally got exposed to, to Scala. Yes, <laughs> I, will, I will pause there.
0: And uh, you learned Scala in, uh, within uh, when uh, you started the job or uh, once you got the offer, you started learning it by yourself and then you, you continued in your job?
1: Uh, so, yeah, I, I got the offer before learning Scala. Uh, the, the boss, uh, the, the CTO was cool with me knowing Haskell. He's a really cool guy, super smart very much a super genius um he was only like 25 or 26 and yeah <laughs> something on there he had his google home page was his exact Is like when you open up a new tab it was um his exact age with like de- with decimal points so it was like 25.77777788899 which is you know maybe a little youth obsessed or something but uh <laughs> he, he uh he was by all means a, a a super super genius and and liked Scala a lot uh, so I decided to trust him and uh, and, and learn it but I, I really uh I learned it on the job I always try I tried to learn it on the job uh, I read a little bit of the website, and I was like, oh yeah, it's like, I know Haskell, I could learn anything. Now Haskell is the hardest language in the world to learn. Uh, so it was a little bit hubrisy. Haskell, as it, it tends to make people a little bit hubristic. And I was, I certainly felt a little pompous at the time. Like, oh, I know Haskell, I got, I got everything. Um, but then I got into the code base and felt a little, You know, I never really fully, I kind of procrastinated on the language um, because I was still a little bitter at not being able to find the Haskell job. And so I didn't fully understand the semantics. I didn't fully get the whole fusion between object-oriented and functional programming. The code base was not that great. It was written by lots of people who all wrote in different styles, mm-hmm. which is something that I think people experience with scholar. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of crazy advanced type stuff because um, they implemented their own programming language as well uh, for a secret sub project that never really came to fruition. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, as, as often is the case, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, 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 I kind of slowly learned it, but kind of hated it. Um, I was confused by implicits. Uh, I've, I've complained about implicits before and probably shared this elsewhere, but you know, I'd copy-paste code from one file to another, and it wouldn't compile anymore. And I was completely confused as to how that was possible. Um, it's because you know it didn't have the right implicit in scope, or it was used in some trace. There was the cake pattern as well was being used, which is I still totally hate. It made the code completely unreadable. And there wasn't a lot of help, um, unfortunately. Everyone was pretty busy. So I just kind of did my tickets slowly and uh, continued to read Haskell in my spare time and do Haskell stuff. Um, and that, that continued until I decided to look at something called Zeo, uh, um, which I'd heard about previously on the internet um, from uh, some, I think, tweet of John saying, one monad to ruin them all. And I kind of dismissed that at the time. I was like, one monad to ruin them all, what is this? marketing speak what is a one monad who no you need many monads you need monad transformer libraries you need the ultimate composability that's what i was very much a believer so i didn't pay much much mind at all until i don't know i don't even remember that what first made me actually pay attention to it and actually give it a shot um it may have been the layer stuff uh something around the layer stuff uh because there was a particular style of coding I really liked to do in Haskell. Um, there was a library called PolySemi, which was this extensible effects library, which is all this fancy nonsense uh, terminology. But as a way, it basically gave you a way of, of structuring programs, coding to interfaces, essentially, the things that you know OOP people already knew about for, for a long time, but doing it nicely in a way in, uh, in a functional programming language. Um, and Z layers looked very similar, though they were implemented in a totally different way. They looked very similar. And when I mucked around with them, they gave me a similar sense of order and pleasure and reasonableness of being able to really just focus on one level of abstraction at a time and implement everything else in terms of a, uh, another interface. And But then now also being able to build the whole app nicely at the end and fit it all together as you slowly sort of provided implementations for those layers. And and yeah, so that's kind of got me into, into ZIO, and that's sort of what led me finally to actually enjoying Scala. I really didn't enjoy Scala before I, I uh, tried ZIO. Um, uh, it, it's, it, it's, its API, in particular, was just like, oh, this is this is feels different than the rest of that chaos world out there. It's, it's like it's it's regular. They've thought about the names of the methods. They thought about the names of the classes. I could command-click into these things, and it's not just sort of a giant pile car crash of of, of uh implicits and and f-bounded uh things that to me always looked like an eyesore like I, I have no problem with that idea mm-hmm. coming from Haskell I like uh type classes and all that but just the aesthetics of it in Scala was just made it a non-starter for me it just was too much too much typing and uh so yeah experiencing Zeo for the first time I was like oh you know what I can actually this actually seems kind of cool and I started to actually study Scala, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this job and I'm going to find a new job.
0: Uh, at that time, you were already in the job uh, of Scala, yes. where to code, the implicit magic, etc. and then you got the chance to see uh, that there is a better way to use Scala, but in a very nice way, similar to Haskell.
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is my first Scala job about eight, nine months in, I finally find out about Zio. And decide to actually give Scala a chance and start reading all I can about it. And okay, let me actually understand implicit real. and reading the docs and doing the same sorts of things I was talking about earlier, experimenting, open fi- opening files and seeing how to break it. And so oh, this is how implicit resolution works and trying to actually understand the details, which is very, it feels good to actually know a tool inside and out. Um, and I was for a long time just kind of procrastinating on that with Scala because I wasn't fully sold on it. But once I was, it became, it was very pleasurable to actually understand the language deeply and not just kind of throw things around and be angry when it, it didn't work. So yeah, I, I, I decided to leave because I was actually, I moved at that point from San Francisco to, to Portland. And um, right after moving, I realized they weren't actually cool with me moving and they made me a contractor. So I was angry at them and, uh, <laughs> and, and was going to find a new job where I could be full-time for all the you know nice usual uh, benefits and things. And so, yeah, at around that time, I, I got really into ZIO and, and uh, joined John's mentorship program shortly after that, because I was looking for just, I really wanted to understand the Scala language. And um, there weren't too many videos online for doing the kind of type level, like the things I was interested in, in um, but I looked at John's sort of Patreon posts and some of the earlier ones were like type level programming, designing a type level SQL uh, library and all these sorts of things that were really advanced. And while there were advanced type level libraries in Scala, there, w- there wasn't the same sort of payload of just videos on this stuff that there was in the Haskell world. Like all that Haskell has is just type astronaut uh, talks. Um, there wasn't much in Scala and I wanted to really understand like what is the, um, the thought process behind designing a, a library like ZIO and what are the tools involved and I really like the design here. This really speaks to me. So yeah, I just wanted to, let me go straight to the source here on, on
0: that. I am uh, curious about um, like your journey into contributing and mm-hmm. also every, I think every week you are doing also the session with Adam. Um, mm-hmm. uh, can you uh, share with us how uh, it went until today?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, yeah. I'm, I'm not the greatest storyteller, so let me be maybe too verbose or give all the details because I don't know which ones are important. But yeah. Um, I'll try to make it semi-entertaining. Uh, so, so yes, I, I had to leave that job because they made me a contractor. So I um, found another job. It was based in New York City, but remote because I didn't want to move. So we just moved to Portland. So I uh, got this job, and uh, it was Scala. Was had nothing to do with ZIO, but I now now with this in my pocket, I uh, you know I did my I did my coding take-home project in ZIO. Made a little uh, tiny URL type clone in, in, in with ZIO a little URL shortening app and enjoyed that and so I went there and I was like I think during the interview process you're like you're not going to tell us that we all have to use you know Zio, right you're not going to try to you're going to be okay to work in these other older style they knew their code base was creepy and they're like you're okay with this right I was like yeah I could totally survive with that I basically could I only survived like two weeks um and then I was like guys you guys really have to try this other stuff maybe I could show you um I was not a it was not a good not a smart move um but uh, it was re- it was really painful to work on a large uh, legacy app, um, and then three months into this, uh, COVID happened, and I got laid off. <laughs> Maybe because I was a little too uh, uh, forward thinking with the, the Zia stuff, um, but they also were nice, and they, they they said, you know, we they lost some big contracts. They gave me a severance and said, okay, you're you're uh, you're unemployed now. Congratulations." Um, and then I was unemployed for like uh, five months. Um, it was it was ter- it was a terrible time and as we all know at the beginning of covid was a, a oh. bad time and but I, I had a lot of time in my hands uh, so i just i kept doing the 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 patreon thing with john um uh i which was a pretty big investment too so was probably a foolish decision as well but it was the best decision i made um during that period uh and i kind of assumed that would be the case um just to keep investing in, in sort of learning and knowledge and expertise waiting for higher hiring managers to become less afraid of the apocalypse and hoping that the apocalypse did not you know see itself through um because it was a lot of unknowns that the early uh, early covid days um uh, but eventually i i got a i got another job and i still ha- didn't at this point contribute at all to nothing i didn't contribute anything mm-hmm. to zeo i was just studying and, and i was making a I I mean, I think at this point I did make a little um, Zeo visualizer for the web. Um, so there's this little website called Zeo what is it called? Zeo catechism or something like this. I'll send you a link. Okay. Uh,
0: Interesting.
1: Zeo catechism. Yeah, it had all these uh it was zeo.surge.sh. Let me see if that's correct. Oh yeah, is that right? Yes, okay, zeo.surge.sh. I'll send this to you. But I, I was learning ScalaJS at the time, and so I made a little mm-hmm. ZIO um, visualizer. So there's all these like clickable, interactive, animated code examples um,
0: oh, uh, for, cool. for different
1: ZIO effects. And so I, I was writing like an animation library. So I wanted to use that to animate um, the ZIO effects and visualize them. You know, to try to That's sell future nice. jobs <laughs> on <Zio. laughs>
0: It's It looks uh, cool. You.
1: Yes, you know, I tried to reuse my my limited uh, aesthetic training from the, the few failed attempts at art school here and there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I worked at I worked at this company until I finally um, this this new company that I joined um, was 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 great. It was the best job I had had up to that point. Um, I was able to use Scala. They actually wanted me to teach people functional Scala, and so I was able to say, "Now we're using ZIO people." And so I introduced <laughs> ZIO slowly. Uh, to taught some some folks. Um, It was really satisfying. Started a weekly sort of Scala group there, um, which is what got me into doing weekly Scala group things. Uh, And that went really, really well. And um, the only problem with Zio introducing that was with Z layers. (laughs) So um, everyone seemed to enjoy it on my team. Um, One coworker really, really enjoyed it with me a lot, except he would repeatedly call me in to help them debug the Z layer errors, uh, which (laughs) you might be familiar with. Uh, So (laughs) you were telling me about your experience that you had uh, maybe this very morning, um, which you're building some layers um, and and layers. are this really cool encoding of basically a a node in your dependency graph, how to build some piece of your project or maybe multiple pieces, multiple services your application depends on uh, given their output and their input. you can give me a, a user service if you give me a database and a logging service or what have you. And these are encoded at the type level, which is really cool because if the types compile, if it compiles, you know your uh, your whole application is going to be built. But if it doesn't compile, uh, you're going to get like a 500 line um, sort of gobbledygook output um, because... The compiler doesn't do type diffing very nicely and it just says like this type was not equal to this other type and the difference might be very small, it could just be one service you added one dependency in one piece of your graph but it's going to. Propagate and blow up with this huge nonsense Um, and i've seen my coworker in particular was like copy pasting these error messages and lining them up to to make them even and then like (laughs) trying to do spot the difference, which is like a horrible experience Um, so. I was thinking, okay, I love Z layers so much, but this experience is leading something uh, to be desired. So my first thought was actually, maybe I'll make a tool that where you can copy paste the code strings into something and it'll automatically tell you exactly what's missing. Uh, so really sort of, you know, <laughs> not venturing into any scary world of macros just yet, just like maybe I can just make a really low tech tool where you copy the code strings and it'll, it'll give you a nice stiff. Um, but then I decided to actually Uh, tried to do something else and uh, realized technically I think this might be possible with macros because all the type information is there that's the kind of the beauty of the z-layer thing it's all in the type signatures uh, through these giant intersection types everything that is needed so I very slowly kind of backed my way into exploring that um, because I didn't want to learn Scala 2 macros they were one of the things that traumatized me from that first Scala job there was there were macros in the code base and I looked at the code and it was just if you've ever look, never looked at macro code before, maybe you have it, it's, you just, it's like all of your, the rules of scholars seem to break down. It's horrifying, it's, it's really ugly code generally too, um, because it tends to be doing complicated things. Um, and if you don't really know what the, how they even work, it's uh, very complicated. So I slowly, decided though I was motivated enough by this problem, a real world problem which I knew could not only help my teammates and help the adoption of ZIO, my current goal at my team but just like everybody. Uh, I, like, I was pretty confident this would be a cool experience. Uh, this is better than a crazy type error, and I love z so much I was tired of them getting a bad rap from people who ran understandably that the, the issues uh, with them, um, you kind of had to fully understand them and uh, to use them. Uh, So, yeah, that's what that was my first open source contribution, which was, I think, like a year ago. (laughs) So I started doing that. And I think it was like January of of 2021 that I sort of worked on that. And over the course of a week or two and got it, it started out simply, um, but I got it to work pretty easily. It was Zeomagic. Zeomagic was the name of that. Yes. Um, I gave it a pretty bad name called Zio Magic, just because I was so happy about it. It felt like magic. Um, they probably heard adoption. Some people were like, I cannot introduce magic at my at my company. Uh, we're a very serious company. Uh, so luckily now, uh, that was just the beginning of the journey. And I, I, I very shortly after that um, saw that Zyverge was hiring. And, I, you know, it, at that point, it was um, kind of a, a done deal. Uh Yes. Technically my job at the time also, there was a misunderstanding and, and the company lawyer uh, kind of brought me into a meeting and got angry about me or sort of, he didn't mean to like uh, dress me down or, or yell at me about uh, open source. I think he was just trying to get his own ducks in a row, but there was a misunderstanding. And I thought he was telling me that the company owns Eomagic, uh, their company, that company owns the magic. And I was the most furious I've ever been in my life. <laughs> Uh, like my lip was quivering I noticed during this meeting I was like that's never had my lip has never quivered I didn't know like I, know, I see that in movies like when you get angry your lip quiver but like my whole face was kind of quivering quavering. and and uh, I was like it took it took all my effort not to uh, quit immediately but I did that day reach out to John and uh and Sandra and said I see you're hiring might I apply for this and, and they said of course and it uh, set me up uh, with our, our, our contractor, um, uh, capital one. So I interviewed with them and, and yeah, that was kind of the beginning of this journey of like fully in, involved and, in, and, uh, in open source and g- getting to work with, uh, these really smart people, uh, professionally and yeah, just feeling super aligned that it took a long time. It took like five years, as I mentioned, uh, before I finally found like a job that felt like, oh yeah, this is, this is it. This is everything I wanted, which is pretty, pretty cool.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that sounds very cool. Yeah, and uh, are you thinking about writing a book?
1: Oh, did did I? Oh no! Where did <laughs> you hear that? Um,
0: <laughs> I just thought about this now. Good,
1: good. I just asked. I just asked that because I think at some point last year I'm like, I'm going to write a book about ScalaJS. Everyone, I made a, I made a uh, like a landing page. I still, what is it? Book dot lol is my my landing page. Uh, and I have like an announcements page and everything. And I, I put all this effort into like building a weird book website. But then I only wrote one article, um, <laughs> which wasn't even about the topic at hand. It was about um, functional programming. So while I like the idea and I do enjoy writing, writing a book seems like it's a very hard and long process, a very difficult and long process. And, um, <laughs> and it's not... I don't think it has quite the, uh, the dynamic of catharsis and immediate feedback that I uh, excel at. Like that's kind of, I think why I'm good at these sort of improvisational <laughs> uh, sort of short-term video-based interaction-based approach is because there's some immediate catharsis there. I feel satisfied. It is content. It is a burst of creation. It doesn't take uh, a year of uh, patient monastic effort which is, I admire that so much. I would love to say I wrote a book. I would love to be a writer. That sounds very noble and intellectual, but I'm not sure if it's in the cards just yet. I think about it every now and again, but uh, I think I like teaching and I'm going to keep doing workshops and and maybe I want to record some more videos. Those are a little satisfying. I think those might be better. I think I I think that might be better for my personality anyway, just to to do it like that. Um, But one day. A little more interactive yeah. and a little more, yeah, loud. I could be louder in, in person than I can be in a book. It would be in all caps. My book would not be good. Um, but yeah, one day, one day I will write a book. One day, but not, probably not uh, in 2022.
0: <laughs> and uh, about your first talk in a tech conference about Scala GS, mm-hmm. was that uh, the first talk or was it me the first time I watched your first talk? Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: I think it was this one. It was the, yeah. So my, my, my first talk, um, that I pref- yeah, did a talk at, um, not in person, but the first remote talk or first talk in any form was functional Scala 2020. So that was, that was a JavaScript talk. Yeah. Which was on, on uh-huh. stock. It was called Stockholm syndrome, escape velocity, uh, a mouthful there. Um, and, and for that one, I made sort of an interactive slideshow application, uh, where, it was very silly. I got carried away. Usually, yeah, that's how, how it works. I build my book website application before writing the book. I built my interactive slideshow app before having any slides. Um, luckily, I actually wrote content for that one. And um, uh, yeah, that was really fun. But that was the first talk um, I gave. That was pretty, that was very time-consuming <laughs> and intense. <laughs> but that was really fun.
0: Yeah, it was very fun. Uh, when uh, we watched the talk, it's it's something that gives um bring attention and you cannot like you cannot get distracted or like you want <laughs> to see what's next what's next and also the talk about uh, uh like this year in uh, functional mm-hmm. scala about the uh, Z layers and the uh, uh, the example <laughs> it was fun you uh, you have like you are creative and uh, i really uh, like uh, how uh, you do this well, thank
1: you uh, yeah that's it's I don't know what it is. It's it's my own pathology, but uh, I'm bad at just doing the thing that people ask, <laughs> the straightforward thing. I have to complicate things uh, in certain ways. I don't know why. Um, maybe it's a need to be liked or to entertain or something. I was kind of a bit of a class clown character. So yeah, it's, it's satisfying to make people laugh and to make things weird and wacky when I can. Especially in the world of functional programming, which tends to be a little more uh, serious or academic or straight-faced. So, but yeah, it's just how I motivate myself to do things. It's hard to just write the thing. It's like, let me uh, interest my, make this interesting for myself by adding some craziness to it.
0: It's like, I don't know how to say it, but it's like you put your... Some of your personality, like you like that. And as I said earlier about mm-hmm. your energy, like you feel, uh, it, it feels that it's, it is you, it's your energy and you are shown. Well, yeah, uh, if I,
1: if I could, you know, take that and try to give some um, advice in general, it's just for what worked for me, which is just that uh, I think for a long time, I, you know, I, I knew I was bad at emulating other people, um, even though I tried maybe in the past to do that a little bit, um, and it, without much success, um, and it's kind of the boring thing maybe it's maybe it's a trite advice at this point, but, um, just to be yourself really would be the summation of it, but, uh, you're, you're going to be the best, no one, no one's, oh man, it's all just going to be platitudes and postcards, but no one's going to be able to be you as, 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 well as you are, right? You've got it all going for you. You're exactly yeah. that, who you are. So be the most you, you can be um, uh, and, and, and figure out, you know, what, what you're good at. I I think, um, well, no, I don't know, figure out what you're good at. Do whatever you want to do that makes you happy, I think. But um, luckily in this situation, people seem to enjoy the the talk. I mean, there are lots of things I like doing. Uh, I like playing music a lot. I like drawing, I like drawing a lot in the past. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a famous musician by any means. Uh, i not a famous artist. I'd never really had much uh, uh, work in illustration. I think I'm okay at, at doodling, but for whatever reason, people seem to connect with this, uh, these with talks that I've given. And that's cool. It feels like, oh yeah, this is a good alignment of, of what I naturally like to do. And, and it seems to connect with people and it, yeah. that doesn't always happen. So I feel lucky that, uh I can have a career option doing something that isn't torture uh which is cool <laughs> i didn't think that was going to be in the cards
0: yeah and uh, like uh, when we receive the information visu- uh, visualize the information in that way in an interesting way it brings it it gets our attention also it has this impact uh, the way Uh, you present
1: I think maybe that comes from uh, yeah the improv stuff and just the need to to be big and entertaining and afraid of that people will tune out if I'm not uh uh sort of constantly um exploding um in a certain in a certain way like a a long car crash uh but an educational car crash uh yeah I mean and, and another sort of to turn it into something that's uh useful to anyone else might be that um you know I try to communicate, I try to give talks on things that I'm excited about. Like, as I mentioned, I'm really bad at doing anything that I'm not excited about. So sort of uh, the dual of that is that I am good at doing things that, or whatever. I'm, it, it, I only do things that I'm excited about. Uh, and, and I think wanting to share that. Yeah, is, This is good. Yeah, it, it's good to it's I, I, I see some talks sometimes where I feel like the, that person maybe just did it because they thought they had to. Or it was like a homework assignment. Yeah. Um, ideally, you're giving the talk and you're devoting this time because you care about it. And if you do care about it, what is it that excites you about it so much that you just want to tell other people and, and get them excited so you can all be like, whoa, free structures are awesome. We're all so, this is so cool. <laughs> and and uh, just feeling that's a cool communal feeling and there's not many opportunities in programming it's kind of an isolated activity so it's it's a really cool way to nerd nerd out um ecstatically with other, other people
0: yeah uh, as you said about uh, doing things uh, when you like to do and it is like not only no it's it's know. true it's <laughs> like i'm a child yeah. i mean do the things that you like to do and and it's like you like you are passionate about and um, you don't have to force uh, just to do this mm-hmm. because you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, let's say you are working on something that mm-hmm. you're really passionate about. And this is very nice. You are you are going to be happy in your life. Yeah. You don't have to every day wake up and think that um, I have to do this. And if you you have in your personality that you want to do what you like, you are putting uh, like your passion into it, and this is this is very nice.
1: Yeah, I feel I feel very lucky <laughs> because yeah, otherwise it would be uh, uh, yeah not not probably so uh, enjoyable. Um, I mean, maybe I find something else. Who knows what the other paths are? But I feel pretty lucky that not only is this does this career exist, that it's relatively uh, remunerative and uh, it's a fairly you know decent job to have, and it allows for intellectual stimulation and meeting cool people who are smart and friendly across the whole world so yeah it's a pretty it's a good gig i agree yeah <laughs>
0: yeah i'm also grateful about uh this uh and uh i wish that people will get motivated to go uh, into this field and we see more people uh are like joining the tech community in general, like uh, yeah. work on this.
1: <laughs> it can't just all be, you know, uh, you know the college path uh, people. Um, yes, I, I hope <laughs> if we're not obvious, you know, I did not ever successfully graduate from higher education. I was a pretty miserable student in general. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you took a snapshot of my life at 24, that it wasn't looking uh, like it was going in a really positive direction um you know career-wise at least and uh i was just bumming around uh playing bad music uh and uh yeah so luckily programming existed um if so yeah if anyone has any interest in in this at all and finds it intellectually stimulating you definitely don't need a degree just to say it uh, obviously I, i i'm assuming there are maybe some difference i've heard uh maybe in at least in the States, I don't think you need a degree, um, especially if you can't afford one. I can only really speak to the States, perhaps, and the global, I've heard things about like visas. If you're trying to come to America, perhaps they like seeing a degree. That sucks, because yes, general, America likes their degrees. But luckily there's a cheat code um, where you can just Google stuff. And there's so much stuff now, even more than when I started, and I really wish it existed when I was in high school. Um, I wish I kind of started younger, um, to, to think that I could do this and think there was a path without academia. I just remember being in you know middle school and feeling really lonely and just hating everything about the school environment and just begging my parents, like, please let me be homeschooled. Let me just go on the internet. Um, but I really didn't have a compelling case at that time. Maybe if, if uh, uh, coding uh, was a little more um, popularized and there were People showing that that thing was popular, or sorry, possible. Uh, I, I would have, I don't know, dropped out at, as a middle schooler. Maybe that's not an inspirational message. But if anyone at their current age and and uh, <laughs> all you middle schoolers out there, quit and live in a bungalow with all you need is a you know a Kindle e-reader and a connection to. Um, I think that gives you free internet, right? Uh, um, anyway, yeah, it's totally it's totally silly, possible. To, um, but there are lots of gatekeepers out there, you know.
0: Yeah, was there uh, uh, an advice that you wished you have known, or uh, you would ha- you would give to your younger self if you go back to the past? It's
1: funny you ask that, William. It's, it's funny you you ask that. Uh, <laughs> I'm taken aback by that inappropriate question. Uh, I'm very trodding <laughs> <laughs> Very. I have a personal life. I have a, you know my past is my business. Uh, <laughs> how dare you i'm i'm <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes what what <laughs> i'm so sorry what would i say to my younger self um goodness yes many things at many times i mean i don't know no let me let me let me get slightly i mean i've been slightly personal already but Yeah, I felt like a pretty much, uh, I felt very strange as a kid and like an outsider. I'm sure that's not too uncommon uh, with lots of people. I I was really lonely in high school. I had a couple of friends, but mostly felt pretty invisible and pretty just bummed out um, and just not wanting to be there. It was very torturous, uh, that whole experience. And I kind of wish I knew that the world wasn't this cruel It didn't have to be you know the the weird conveyor belt they were putting you on where middle school is preparation for high school and you got to do well now I wish I just knew I wish I could go back and whisper in my ear like when in seventh grade or something or sixth grade when things started to get pretty just miserable and just say you don't have to give a shit about this at all it's going to be okay and like there was a lot of guilt that I put on myself to perform academically because I did I did really well in elementary school, let me tell you, I know, and and a little bit in middle school and stuff, Um, and just family-wise, my my grandparents were professors, and so coming home, they were like, what are your grades, and you got to do well, and you're smart, why aren't you doing better academically, and and so on and so forth, I just wish I could go back and say, dude, you're going to be okay, just enjoy life, read a book, relax, uh, luckily, uh, there is an, a new paradigm of, of computer programming that uh, you can use your weird little brain to uh, understand uh, fascinating little puzzles and, and build things. And it'll be satisfying. It'll be like playing with Legos. And, and you'll be able to, you know, have health insurance and live in an apartment and, and, and eat food. And uh, it's going to be OK. So I, I'd probably go back and tell myself that. I'm not sure if that's generally applicable, but it would have. Yeah, that was a question. And that's my answer
0: wow it hits me because i would wish also to do that the same (laughs) i worried a lot in the past and i wished if i didn't if i knew that everything would be all right
1: yeah yeah the way they the way they raise kids in this uh it's in this world there's a lot of pressure and in certain i don't know if i can't speak globally but um in certain cases yeah it's uh it's uh, there's a particular path you have to take and if you don't take that it's it's very scary and there's all this anxiety yeah. uh, from a young age potentially but yeah it for whatever reason whether or not it's fair or good or whatever it is what it is the world's complicated I, I cannot explain it <laughs> you know life is mysterious consciousness all this stuff whatever etc take a toke of the bong uh, but luckily uh, programming is a career that you may have and if you enjoy it, it will sustain you for a, a time. It looks like it's somewhat future-proof. Uh, so yeah, go for it. And, uh, and it'll subsidize your, your what you're passionate about and um, whatever passions you might have additionally, in, in, uh, in addition to programming. Hopefully you enjoy programming yeah. um, a little bit. Uh, but to be honest, like sometimes it's not my number one passion. My number one passion is playing music. It's just that no one's gonna give me money to live playing music currently. Uh, probably ever so uh programming though I, I enjoy so much about it and it's satisfying and um yeah so yeah there you go thank you William this was this was really really nice I, I'd like talking with you talking at you for so long but also yeah it's good to have no they can't see your face you're smiling happy face which has been very supportive during this process oh
0: thanks a lot it was amazing to talk to you and thanks for your time
1: thank you William <laughs> Till next time. Ta Ta-ta. <laughs> ta. <Ta-ta-ta-ta.
0: laughs> I'm looking forward to our next episode with a new guest and new inspiring story. Until then, stay safe and stay tuned to our next episode. Tic tac, tackle the inspiration.